chapter 19 tonight, Kings chapter number 19, and I just want to thank Pastor, um, and I just want to say how great of a pastor do we have, you know, I mean, we, we have such an awesome pastor, I, there are a lot of pastors uh, throughout the U.S. and even all over, I mean, they don't give their, their sessions, and uh, I just want to thank you for giving me an opportunity to preach through a series, and not a lot of guys my age get to Thank you, Pastor. I appreciate you. We're going to be in First Kings chapter number 19. I love that song that we just sang a second ago. Uh, it's probably one of my favorite hymns. I really enjoy singing it because the truth behind it is so powerful. It's because he lives that we can face tomorrow. It's because he lives that our fear, they're gone. How awesome is that? Our fears of death, our fears of everything we can face tomorrow just because Jesus lives, just because he's alive, because he's living today. I, I love that song. We're going to be in First Kings chapter 19. We're going to be continuing our series. And I mentioned that song because that song is super appropriate for this final message that we uh, were having uh, this week. Because we've going, been going through a series called Growing from Failures. And we've been learning about different failures throughout the Old Testament. And what we've been trying to do, because uh, in the New Testament it tells us that the things that were given before time were given to us for our learning. And so we've been learning from these failures in the Old Testament some things on how to not do what these people did, right? We don't want to do some of the things they did, and so we've been learning how to, to, to stay away from failing in these ways. But then we've also been learning who our God is in the midst of those failures. When we fail and when we do things that, that are not pleasing to Him, when we do things that are failures, we've been learning about who God is. We've been learning that He's gracious and that He's merciful and that He's patient, and yes, that He hates sin, but that He loves us, and we've been learning about failure. And during World War II, um, there were there were bomber planes used a lot. And one of the bomber planes that was used a lot was called the B-17 bomber. And the B-17 bomber was really interesting. It had, obviously it was a plane, it had the whole crew on there, but there was one job that was really, really important, but it was also a job that was very, very dangerous. There, there, was, a, there was a part of the airplane in the B-17 planes that was called the ball turret, okay? And what a ball turret was is, you would have the plane, right, and on the belly of the plane, there was this little pexiglass kind of ball that would come out of the bottom, and a man would get into that ball, and he would sit in it. And, and the gun was manufactured so that that gun could turn around in all different directions and be able to shoot at incoming planes that were about to invade that plane. But the reason it was so dangerous was because there was only one way to get out of that ball turret. The only way out was up, and you had to crank this little lever in order to get back up out of the plane, and often that lever would break. And if that lever broke, there was nothing that they could do. If that lever, that, that, that little thing that they had to crank, if that broke, there was nothing they could do. All that they could do, and there were multiple stories throughout throughout World War II where, where this lever would break, and then the plane, they would get shot at, and the plane, it would lose the ability to put the landing gear down. And so if that happened, that person, that, that man, that gunner that was in the ball turret, he had to sit in that ball turret knowing that when that plane landed, he was going to be crushed under the weight. And in that moment for that gunner, he's sitting there and, and probably thinking about the life that he's lived, and he's thinking about maybe his family, and maybe if he has kids back home, he's thinking about that, knowing that in moments, when that plane landed, he was going to die. And there was nothing anyone, he was hopeless. There was nothing, there was nothing anyone could do. No one could pull him out of there. Nothing that anyone can do. He was completely, totally we live in a day today where anxiety is on the rise. We live in a day today where depression is higher now than it ever has been in human history. We live in a day where people are worried. They're living in fear. We saw that with the pandemic. As soon 
as the pandemic came out, you know, people wouldn't leave their houses because they were worried that if they caught this thing, they were going to die. People lived in complete fear. And that's the day that we live in. We live in a day when people live their lives completely, totally hopeless. But it's not just the unsaved world that does this, right? Because there are often times in my life, and I'm sure in your life, where we go throughout our day and there are times that we feel hopeless. We're worried. We're, we're, we're fearful of everything that's going on. We're, we're not sure how we're going to make that next bill. We're not sure what's going to happen to our marriage. We live our life feeling like we can't do anything. We feel like, you know, God's not there. We feel completely hopeless. And what's encouraging to me from Scripture today is we're going to look at a guy who did some crazy things for God. But there was a time in his life where he felt. Because often, every, every single one of us will face in our life where we feel hopeless. And so tonight, as we look at the failure of hopeless, we study the character of Elijah. Keep your heart open. Keep your, your, your mind open. And see what God has tonight. In the book of First Kings, we're introduced to this man called Elijah, right? And Elijah, he, he is this awesome guy. He, he's a prophet, right? But he's also kind of like Rambo. I mean, he, he is a crazy, crazy prophet. He's awesome. I mean, he's like the superhero of First Kings. He, he's, a, he's a really, really cool guy. He's, he's a prophet. He's a preacher, right? What, what prophets would do is they would go, they would stand before the people of God to be the voice of God. He, they, he would tell the people what God said. He, he would communicate what God was communicating to him to the people of God. He was a preacher. He, that's, that's what he would do. And it was different than a preacher today because we don't look like the things that I'm saying and the things that, that Pastor Yoder says, we're speaking from the Word of God, but oftentimes like we, we, we will make mistakes in, in things that we say sometimes. We, we, will, we will say things the wrong way, but what prophets would do is God would directly communicate to them and then they would just reiterate exactly what God said to the people. So if they were reiterating exactly what God said, there was no mistakes because God doesn't make mistakes. This is what Elijah does. He's super close to God, but in first, and we're introduced to him in 1 Kings 17. And in 1 Kings 17, Elijah makes a pretty bold move. There's this king, and this king's name, he's Ahab, right? And Ahab, he's the king of Israel during this time. And Elijah goes to King Ahab, and there's something you have to understand. King Ahab, he is a wicked, terrible, awful king. I mean, and the re, the biggest reason for it is really because of his wife. His wife had a huge, his wife Jezebel had a huge influence over him. She was a pagan. She was not a godly woman. And so she would, she would influence him to make really terrible, awful decisions. And there was points in their life where, where they would go in and they would try to kill all of the prophets of God. They tried to kill anyone that were, that were getting them away from, from what their objective was. They didn't, they wanted to live their life apart from God. And so they have this awful, terrible king, Ahab. And the thing that was awful about Ahab is he had turned the, the people of God away from God. There was a religion during this time, it was really a form of idol worship, to this idol whose name was Baal. And Baal, he was really the, the chief god of all the other gods. In, in this, in this, in this, in this, in this uh, really in this uh, multitude of gods that they would have, they had this one god who was over everything else. He, he was the god uh, that would, that would provide, uh, children. He was the fertility god. He would make the plants grow. This is what they believed in. This god's name was Baal. And what, what Ahab had done is he had turned the people away from worshiping the one true god, and they started worship Baal. This god that supposedly was the god of fertility. The, the, the god that, that would provide children. The god who, not just fertility for human beings, but fertility for the ground as well. He would cause the plants to grow, and he would cause rain to come down from the sky. 
And so God, he wants to take care of this problem, right? And so he takes, he, he, sa- he tells Elijah, hey, I, Elijah, I want you to go to Ahab and I want you to tell him that it is not going to rain until you say it's going to rain. And if I'm Elijah, I'm like, because this guy, he's already tried to kill prophets up until this point. And so if I'm Elijah, I'm like, God, are you, are you sure? Because if I go and do this, he might kill me. Okay, so, so God's like, yes, I'm sure. So Elijah, he goes to King Ahab and he says, Ahab, you know that God that you have, Baal? This, this God that you have, that it's supposedly over the fertility and, and he causes crops to grow and he causes rain to come down from the sky. We're going to prove who the real God is because my God is not going to let it rain until he says it's time to rain. He makes this bold statement. And the reason God wanted to get rid of Baalism so much is because people, Baalism was a, was a cruel and awful religion. It often required human sacrifice, like sacrificing your firstborn to this king so that, so that he would provide more children. And God wanted to rid Israel of Baalism. And so he sends Elijah, and Elijah, he stands before the king, he makes this claim, and that's what God does. And up into from, from 1 Kings 17 to 1 Kings 19, where we're going to be tonight, the, the people of Israel have not seen rain. And that's a really dangerous thing. Some of you, your farmers in here, you know what it's like when it doesn't rain. I mean, your crops don't come up, you, you don't have water, and it's a dangerous thing when there's no rain. But God says, hey, it's not going to rain until I say it. This is who Elijah was. He, he's, a close, he's close to his God. And Elijah, throughout his life, from 1 Kings 17, the first time we're introduced to him until 1 Kings 19, Elijah has seen some pretty crazy... Elijah has done some pretty miraculous things. I mean, there was a widow, and she had a son, and this son got sick, and he died. And so Elijah, he he raised his boy or her boy from the dead with God's power. That same widow, before that, that she was running out of oil, she she said that she was just going to make her last meal and die because she didn't have enough. Her husband had died, and so so she was just going to make her last meal for her and her son, and they were going to die. And Elijah comes in, and he, she, he says, hey, I, mean, I want you to make your last meal for me. I'm going to eat it, and then God will provide for you. And that widow, Elijah watched as God caused that widow's oil to not run out. I mean, it just kept refilling it. And then he raises her son from the dead. And then in 1 Kings 18, he calls all the priests of Baal together. And these, all of the over a hundred priests, right? They come to this mountain and Elijah says, hey, we're going to have a battle of the gods. We're going to see whose God is real. And so what I want you to do is I want you to put a a bull, I want you to put him on your altar and you get as much time as you need to to try to call down fire from heaven. And we're going to see if your God can, can do what you say he's going to. And so what do the prophets of Baal do, right? They, they put their ball, their, their bull on the altar and they, they begin to cry out to their God and Elijah starts mocking them. He says, Oh, maybe, maybe your God's on vacation. Like maybe he went for a little trip. Maybe you need to cry louder. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe you need to wake him up. And Elijah, he mocks these guys for calling out to their false God and they begin to cut themselves. They begin to cry out to their God and Baal never fire. And Elijah, he says, you know what? I'm going to put my bull on the altar. I want you to soak it in, in buckets of water. Just pour water. Build a trench around it with water. And so that's what they do. They, they put water. They soak this bull in water. And they, they put this trench around it and fill it with water. And this, this altar now is soaked with water. And Elijah goes up and he prays one prayer. And God sends fire from heaven. I mean, this guy, Elijah, he has seen some God do some miraculous. And then at the end of 1 Kings 7, or 18, Elijah says, okay, I think it's time to rain. And he prays seven times. And, and then God sends rain. He has seen God work in miraculous ways over and over and over and over again. But when we come to 1 Kings 19, we don't see the Rambo of a prophet. Look at 1 Kings number 19. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. 
and withal how he had slain the prophets with the sword. So that's one thing I forgot. Elijah, after he's done uh, uh, proving that God is the real God, God sends fire from heaven, he kills all of the false prophets. He like cuts their heads off. Like They're done. Okay. Jezebel tells Ahab, or Ahab tells Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a juniper. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better. This guy who, who had seen God do incredible things, now he's suicidal, like he wants to die. He's afraid for his life. And Elijah, in this moment, feels hopeless. He feels like there's no point in him living anymore. He's worried. He's fearful just like many of us are. And that's encouraging to me because a guy that, that had spent his life close to his God, he had seen God do incredible things like that. Even men like him, at times in his life, they felt They were fearful. They were afraid. And we all may come to times in our life where we're worried. We're fearful. We're afraid. And it's wrong because it doesn't line up with what we believe. We have no reason to be hopeless, right? Because we have our hope in Jesus. He's living. He's God. He's all-powerful. And he's in control of everything. And he loves us. But there are times where we think and we focus more on the world around us than we do the God that we We focus more on our situation than we do on our Savior, and we become hopeful. We become worried. We become fearful. And so tonight, we're going to look at three areas that Elijah could have put it, that he did. One area that he did, but two areas that he didn't. And these areas, we focus on these areas more than we do our situation. They will help us to overcome this feeling of hopelessness. So let's pray. And then we'll get into it. And Father, thank you for this time that we have to study the area of our lives that many of us struggle with, that I struggle with, of worry, of fear, of hopelessness. And Father, I pray that, that as we go through these areas, that, that one of them would speak to our hearts and that we would focus more on you than we do our situation. Father, I love you. I pray these things in Jesus. And the first area that Elijah, could, or the first area that we can really focus on is that when we feel hopeless, we can look back to God's Think about this. Elijah, like all of that background that I just gave, Elijah has seen God raise people from the dead. He's seen God throw fire down from heaven. He's seen God uh, replenish oil that, that this widow ran out of. He's seen God uh, bring water from the sky when, when, when they hadn't seen water in, in months, maybe even years up until this point. Like Elijah has seen God do some incredible things. But when we find Elijah in, in 1 Kings 19, he's hopeless. And this is literally right after God has sent fire down from heaven and helped Elijah kill over a hundred prophets of Baal. I mean, God has done, in the last 24 hours, God has done more uh, physical and, and visual miracles than many of us will even see in our lifetime. I mean, I mean, Elijah has seen some crazy things that God has done less than 24 hours up in the But when we find him in verse number 4, Elijah's sitting under a juniper, crying out to God, asking God. Now, why? Okay, why does this happen? Well, in the first two verses, the Bible tells us that Ahab, he goes to Jezebel, and he says, hey, Jezebel, all those prophets that you had, the prophets of Baal, they, they're all dead now because Elijah killed them all. And so now Jezebel, she's upset. She's angry. These were her prophets, okay? And so now she, she's like, all right, we're going to get rid of this guy, Elijah. And so she sends a message to Elijah and says, hey, we are going to kill you. If, 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 if I don't kill you in the next day, 
that I'm going to pray that my gods will make me like one of those people that, that you killed. I mean, if I don't kill you in the next day, I am putting a death sentence on myself. I am planning on killing you in the next day. And if you're reading this story for the first time, now think about this. Elijah, he's just seen his God throw fire down from heaven. He's just killed. He's just killed over a hundred men. Killed them. And then this lady who's in a palace, probably has never fought a day in her life, says, I am going to kill you in the next 24 hours. And if you're reading this story for the first time, you're like, Elijah, you got this. I mean, you just killed 140 prophets. Just go to the palace, walk up to this lady and say, hey, you want to kill me? Here I am. Go ahead. Try. Go ahead. I dare you. I dare you. Go ahead. Try. And if you're reading this story for the first time, that's what you're thinking Elijah's going to do. But that's not what he does. Elijah, when he gets this news that Jezebel is going to kill him, he runs away quicker than a politician from an uncomfortable question. I mean, he he's out. I mean, he dips. He's gone. He runs into the desert. He runs to Judah. He leaves his servant there. And then he goes out into the wilderness. And he sits under a juniper tree. And he's like, God, kill me. Please. There's this lady and she wants to kill me. And I know that you just threw that fire down from heaven. But, but kill me. Think about how ridiculous. Elijah has seen the power of God so many times. And when he gets one threat, when one thing doesn't go his way, when one thing that's kind of scary happens in his life, he feels hope. When what he should have done and what he had the opportunity to do was to go back and look at the last 24 hours. And if I'm there with Elijah, I'm like, Elijah, like, do you remember yesterday when you said one prayer and God sent fire down? Do you remember yesterday when you prayed seven times and God sent the rain that we've been wanting for months? Do you remember yesterday when God helped you kill over 140 prophets? Like, do you remember that, that time a while ago when God, when God made the oil in that lady's, uh, in that lady's pitcher come back over and over and over again? Do you remember that? Because right now, you're not acting like that ever happened. And what Elijah had the opportunity to do was to think back to the time. And we look at Elijah in this story and we're like, man, Elijah, what is wrong? How could you be so afraid when you have a God that, but friends, can I remind you? And oftentimes we feel scared and we feel worried and we feel fearful, feel hopeless. Even though the same God that set fire down is the same God that, that we see. And so the, the opportunity that we have in our lives when we feel fearful and when we feel hopeless, we have the opportunity to look back on the times that we've seen. Like we have the opportunity to look back on the times when, when we didn't know how our marriage was going to last and we feel like we're fighting with our spouse all the time and we're like, man, this thing is going to end. I, I don't know what we're going to do. And God delivers. We have the opportunities to look back at the times when we didn't know how we were going to pay the bill. We didn't know how we were going to get the money to, to pay for everything that was going on in our life. We didn't know how we were going to pay the hospital bills and the rent. We didn't know how it was going to happen, but somehow God provided it for us. And maybe you can't think of a time that, that, that God provided in the way. Like and even if you don't, you have the opportunity to look back about 2,000 years when there was a man who bore the cross that you should have bore. And he walked up a hill that you should have walked up. And he was driven, his nails were driven into his hands that should have been driven into your hands. And God gave, God showed us his power and his love on the cross. When Jesus, the Son of God, marched up that hill and died, and, and all of the sin that you have ever done, will ever do, and are doing, was placed on him, and he took the punishment. See, we all have times when we feel hope. But in those moments of hopelessness, look, we can look back where we've seen God's power. We can look back to the times where God has delivered us over and over and over again. And we can, because he cares. I was sharing this with the teenagers this morning. There was this time in Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus, he's teaching and he gives this parable. He's talking about the sparrows that are, that are flying in the air. And I can just imagine Jesus, you know, he's sitting and Jesus, he would often sit when, when he taught people. And so he's sitting 
and, and he, he's talking to his disciples and he's talking to the people around him and he, he looks up, maybe he sees a bird in the air. He says, you see that bird up there? Because the, the, the people around him, they were worried, they were fearful what they were going to eat and what they were going to drink and what they were going to wear. So he, he says, you see that bird right there? Not one of those birds falls from the sky without your father knowing. Maybe he looks over and he sees a field that, that's over on the side, has a bunch of flowers in it. And Jesus says, hey, you see the lilies of the valley? And you see how God's clothed them and made them beautiful and, and he's, he's provided for them? Do you see that? How much more than, if God cares that much about how much more than? See, friends, we can trust him because he is all-powerful and he, he cares. The Bible says in Psalms 147, it says, he telleth the number of the stars, he calleth them by their names, great is our Lord, and of, of great power, his understanding. We have a powerful, powerful. And, and when we feel worried and when we feel anxious and when we feel, when we feel hopeless, we can look back at the time that we've seen God. I remember when I was younger, when I was in high school, my, my nephew, he would come over a lot and, and we would go to the pool. And a lot of times we would, we would be sitting in the pool and there was a part of the pool where he couldn't really touch in. And I don't know what is wrong with me, but I would love to take him to that part of the pool where he couldn't touch. And I would like drop him and then he was scared and then I would pick him back up. It's really like warped thinking. I don't know what was wrong. I'm much better now, I promise. But I would take him and we would go to the jump, the deep end of the pool and I would, I would put him up on the ledge and I would say, Hey, Gavin, get, jump to me. And the first time that he, and many of you parents who have done this before, the first time that they do it, they're very, very not sure if they want to jump to you. I mean, he, he does this and he does like his practice jump thing where he like goes like this, but it's like his feet are like cemented to the ground. And he, he like, he's, he's trying. And then finally, once he gets up the courage, he jumps to me and I caught him and he didn't drown like he was thinking. And then what does he say to me? Let's do it again. This is awesome. Let's do it again. And what he was just scared of, what he was just terrified of, what, what, what he thought might be the end of his life, now he wants to do it again. Why? Because he realized that he looked back at the time that I caught him. He realized that trust me. Friends, that's the thing that we, is we can look back at this caught us. We can look back at the times that he has delivered us. We can look back at the times that he has provided for us in the past. And we can realize that we have a God that we, so when you feel hopeless, you can look back at God's power, power just like Elijah had. But then not only can we look back at his power, but when we feel hopeless, we can analyze God's power. Look at verse number five. The Bible says this, And as he lay and slept under the juniper tree, behold, an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baked on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him, and he said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink, and went, went in the, and went in the strength of that meat, forty days journey, or forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mouth of God. So what happens here? Elijah, he feels hopeless, he feels upset, he feels depressed, he's like, God, kill me, because Jezebel, she's gonna, she's gonna kill me, so I want you to kill me. That really doesn't make sense. So she, he's laying under this juniper tree, and he falls asleep. And after, after he falls asleep, this angel comes and wakes him up. And, and I don't know why, it's just my imagination, but I have a feeling he was kind of grumpy, mainly because I'm grumpy when I wake up from my naps. When anybody wakes me up from my naps, it, I mean, it's like, it's, I'm a completely different person. It's like Jekyll and Hyde, right? I, I feel, I feel upset. I feel, and, and Elijah's probably, what do you want? What? And he looks up, there's this angel there. And the angel says, Elijah, go ahead and eat. And Elijah probably thinks like, eat what? We're in the desert. I'm under a juniper tree. Juniper trees don't grow any fruit. So like, what, what am I going to do? What am I going to, he looks down. And there's a, a loaf of bread and a cruise of water. And Elijah looks down and the Bible says he falls asleep again. And the angel comes over and, and the angel pokes him. He wakes up and the angel says, hey, get up and eat. And again, second time, 
there's a loaf of bread and water, which this shows us of our God. Because when Elijah should have been trusting in him, and when Elijah should have been having faith that God would deliver him, even though God had shown his power over and over again, and Elijah was fearful for his life, he didn't trust his God, even when we sin and we don't trust him, oftentimes God treats us so gently. And he understands that there are going to be times where we lack him. And he understands that there are going to be times that we worry even though we should trust him. And he understands all of this. He provides us that loaf of bread. He does, he, God didn't come down to Elijah and the angel didn't come and kick him in the gut and say, get up, like, what are you doing? Come on. God just provided for you yesterday. He can provide for you today, so let's go. Come on. Go face Jezebel. He didn't do that. He said, Elijah, here's, here's a loaf of bread. Here's some water. Get some because you're tired. I had, a, I had a guy in college, sometimes the godliest thing that so true. God is with Elijah in the midst of his hopelessness. So we have this kind of, because what Elijah could have done is he could have looked at the fact that, hey, I'm in the middle of the desert. I'm under a juniper tree. I have no food. And yet God is providing food for me. He's providing for me. Not in the past. God is doing this right now. Like right now, God is providing. But look at what happens in verse number eight. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in his, in the strength of that meat, 40 days and 40 nights unto Mount Horeb, the Mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came in and he said unto him, what dost thou hear, Elijah? What doest thou hear? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts and for the children of Israel and forsaken thy covenant or the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant and thrown down thine altars and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I even only am left and seek thy face. Take it. Or, or sorry, sorry. Even I seek thy face. Sorry, and they seek my life to take it away. So Elijah, he still feels hopeless. He, he still feels, man, God, there's, there's these people and they're coming after me and I'm scared. I don't know what to do. And he still feels this fear and this worry. And what he could have done is looked right now. Like, Elijah, God has just provided this food for you. God has just provided water for you. God is providing for you right now. See, we don't always have to look back at God's power. Sometimes we can look right now at his provision. Because I don't think we understand how much God provides for us day to day. It's God that, that allows us to wake up in the morning. It's God that puts breath in our lungs. It's God that allows us to wake up and work. It's God that, that allows us to have enough strength in our legs to be able to walk to do our job. It's God that provides the further bills. It's God that provides for our children. It's God that does all of this stuff. It's God that day to day provides for you so you can trust him. And some of us, when we feel worried, we need to think about the fact that there are people throughout the world that they didn't eat. They don't have clothes to wear. They don't have a car in their room. They don't have a 401. They don't, they don't have a job because there aren't any jobs available. And we need to think about the fact that, that the way we live in America is way better than, than the majority of the world. We're rich to com- compare to that. God provides for us every single day. How often do we think? Because I really believe that if we were more thankful, we would have much less. Anger. Like if we woke up in the morning and wrote down just five things that we were thankful for that day, our day would look very different. We wouldn't be as worried. We wouldn't be as Why? Because we know our God is providing for us, not back then, right now, just like he was for us. Paul says in First Timothy when he was writing to him, he says, Timothy, if you have food and raiment, like if you have food to eat, have clothes on your back, why is God? And so when we feel anxious, not only can we look back at the times that we've seen God's power, but we can analyze God's provision right now, today. But not only can we look back at his power and we can analyze position, but lastly, when we feel hopeless, we can rest. Look at verse number 11. This is, this is the most exciting part of this message. Look at verse number 11. He's in this cave and God's having this conversation with him. And Elijah has just said, hey, God, there's these people seeking my life. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know what's happening. I'm scared. I'm worried. I'm fearful. There's these people who are trying to kill me. And he said, God, 
says to Elijah, go forth and stand upon the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountain and break it to pieces, the rocks, or break it, break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earth. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after that, or and after the fire, a still small voice. And it was so, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped up his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the, of the cave. And behold, there came the voice of him and said, What doest thou fear? Elijah. So Elijah, God says, hey, Elijah, I want you to go stand on this mountain. And so Elijah, he's standing there. And the Bible says that, that there's this huge wind that comes by. And this wind was so powerful that there's this, there's this mountain on the, on the side. And Elijah looks at this mountain. And the Bible says this wind was so powerful that this wind broke it into pieces. I mean, can you imagine a wind that powerful? You're looking outside, you see this mountain. And this wind is so powerful that these rocks, they just broke apart. That's a powerful wind. I've never seen a wind like that. I don't know about you, but I've never seen it. But then the Bible says that God wasn't. And for us, we're like, wait a minute. That wind was so powerful that it broke a mountain that God wasn't in. Like that wasn't the focus of what God wanted Elijah to see. That wasn't, that wasn't the point of what Elijah, or what God wanted Elijah to focus on. And then the Bible says that after that, after the, the, the wind came this earthquake. And the earthquake, I mean, I've been in an earthquake before. Earthquakes are, are, are incredible. I mean, they feel, they're, they're, they're crazy, right? And Elijah, he feels this earthquake, but God wasn't in. Then the Bible says that there's this fire, probably a really incredible fire, and he's looking at it. But then the Bible says, God's not in the fire. Like, none of those things were what God wanted Elijah to put his focus on. And then the Bible says this, after the fire, still, now you say, why is that? Well, if I wanted to whisper something to Pastor you, I couldn't do it up here. If I didn't have a mic on, I couldn't say, like, he wouldn't be able to hear me. So if I wanted to pastor in a still small voice, what do I have to do? Help me. What do I have to do to get close? And then I can. See, Elijah, he, 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 he had seen God do amazing things. Elijah had seen the fires. He, he had seen the earthquakes. He had seen, he had seen all of these things before. But in this moment, look, in this moment, Elijah didn't need, uh, and God knew this, Elijah didn't need a God that could make a wind so powerful it could break a mountain. Like, Elijah didn't need a God that, that could do, that could have this amazing fire. Elijah didn't need a God that could make an earthquake. What Elijah needed the most in this moment, in his hopelessness and in his fear was a God. Because the Bible says that after that, it was after he had heard that still small voice, after he realized that, the, 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 that God was close, he, had, he stood up and he covered his face with the man. Like Elijah, he, he gets up and he's like, all because he had the presence of God. Because like we learned last week, the presence of God changes everything. And Elijah, because of God's presence, because, of, because he knew that God was with him, Elijah's not depressed anymore. He's still scared. We learn this in the next verse. He's still afraid. But when God tells him what he needs to do, he does it. He does it. Why not because he had a God, a God that, could, that could send fire down from heaven? He, he, he loved that, and he could do that, and he, he knew that God could do that. But what made him confident, what took away his depression and his anxiety and his hopelessness, the fact that God was close. See, it's in our problem, in our hopelessness, in our sin, in our lust, in our lack of in our jealousy. It's in these moments that we have a God that will draw near to us. Not that, because God for Elijah, he wasn't like, all right, you know, Elijah, you're not having faith in me, so I'm going to distance myself from you. I, I, I know you don't have faith in me, so, so you know what, you stay over here, and I'm going to come over here, and when you decide to have faith in me, then I'll come close to you, then I'll be around you. But no, God was close. It's in your marital when you don't know how you and your spouse are. It's in that fear of not knowing how you're going to pay rent. It's in, it's in that fear of, man, what is going to happen to me today that your God See, he's promised never to leave you or forsake you. He's not disgusted. He's a God that doesn't just tolerate because he loves you. He doesn't love your sin. 
but he loves you. He's near to you. And so when you feel hopeful, when you feel that anxious thought, when you are worried and when you are fearful, when things take place in your life and when you have situations in your life that you don't know how you're going to get through, remember the fact that God, and you can rest in that presence because, friends, we are hopeful. We can't do anything. We can't pay the bill. We can't fix them. We can't conquer us. So this whole message can be summed up. When you feel hopeless, meditate. Think about who. Think about what he's done. And there will be times that the enemy will try to convince you, man, your life is over. You will never recover from this. Your your marriage will never be saved. You're, you will never be able to pay the rent. God's never going to provide for you. But when Elijah finally realized that God was with him, God up and he's fighting. So when you feel fearful, when you feel angry, meditate on God. Meditate on and rest. Or meditate on his provision and rest. What, I want to do something, Dave. Wes, if you could come up and go to the, I'd like to sing that song a little bit ago. Yeah. I want you to, just the first verse, but I want you to meditate on the other words. I want us all to stand. Let's go ahead and stand.